Hello, and thank you for joining us on Giving Voice to Depression. I'm Bridget. And I'm Terry. More than 350 million people worldwide suffer from depression, but you do not have to have it yourself to be affected by it. Its prevalence pretty much guarantees that someone you care about battles its darkness. This podcast tries to shine some light into that darkness. We're not experts and we're not therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and are committed to encouraging healthy, healing conversations about mental illness. Episodes in this season are made possible by a grant from the Charles E. Kubley Foundation, which is dedicated to bettering the lives of those affected by depression. We are solely responsible for podcast content. Hi, Bridget. Hi, Terry. Today we're going to talk about stress and being stuck in fight or flight or freeze, all of which drain our adrenals and all of which I'm very familiar with. We know that chronic stress can increase the risk of developing depression. Losses, work pressures, relationship problems can all elevate cortisol or the stress hormone. And it also reduces the quote-unquote feel-good neurotransmitters like serotonin in our brain. Many sources conclude that when the stress response fails to shut off or reset after a difficult situation has passed, after it's over, Mm -hmm. that it can lead to depression in susceptible people. And the group of first responders, which includes police, firefighters, sheriff's deputies, emergency medical personnel, and a lot of others, those life-saving stresses are not only chronic, but they're multiplied. It's often dangerous, physically demanding working conditions that they're under. And then they witness and or are involved in traumatic and often heartbreaking events. And then there's the physical and psychological toll of, as you said, running toward danger, whether that's gunfire, disasters, violence, when human instinct would have them joining the rest of us heading the other direction. A recent study by the Rutterman Family Foundation found that in 2017, more officers and firefighters died by suicide than all line-of-duty deaths combined. Mm. A jarring statistic that continues to plague first responders but garners little attention. I'd never even heard it. I didn't know it either. Another recent national survey finds approximately 85% of first responders have experienced symptoms related to mental health issues. Nearly half cited incidents at work that they believed caused their depression. Hmm. And all those numbers are widely believed to be low. Uh, Stigma discourages speaking up and reaching out. Many first responders who were surveyed said that there would be negative, that they believed there would be negative repercussions for seeking mental health help at work. More than half of them believe their supervisor would treat them differently if they brought up mental health concerns, such as passing them over for promotions or just generally seeing them as weak. Mm-hmm. Well, when you think about it, I mean, you know, they're, they're heroes, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they're also uh, humans. Exactly. Today's guest, Monica, has firsthand familiarity with those realities. She joins us now to give her voice to depression. Monica graduated from college with a degree in business. For five years, she worked in a job she found tedious and unfulfilling. After a really difficult breakup and subsequent dark period, she decided it was time to make some changes, including finding a new career that was both active and purposeful to bring some light back to her life. Monica trained for and started a job as a sheriff's deputy. 
didn't want to be around people at all. I just wanted to hibernate in my bedroom. So for a good chunk of time, I, all I did really was go to work and come home and cry or like read books or I like to paint. And I was just kind of keeping secluded to myself and trying to figure out how to be happy again. When I started the job in law enforcement, I didn't, I didn't think I, I wasn't passionate about like, oh, I really want to be a police officer. I wanted some kind of a distraction from being depressed and something to feel like a meaning with life again, because I felt like I didn't care about my life. Like whether I would wake up in the morning or not did not matter to me. So yes, I guess you can call that depression, right? Um, and I was, you know, just being very unhealthy and not caring about myself. And I thought that this would be a great way to bring meaning into my life. Again, this is really meaningful work and I can feel like I'm doing something for the, for not just me, but the good of our community. She started as a courthouse bailiff, moved to a position at the airport and was then assigned patrol work. During that training, I started seeing a counselor because that was when I really started to see some things that I was having trouble going home after work and dealing with. It wasn't that she couldn't professionally handle the accidents, drug overdoses, drunk drivers and such she encountered. I felt on the job that I was able to be that strong person and and I wasn't phased by what I did at work. I actually really loved what I was doing while I was at work. I just wish there was an off button, you know, when you get done and you're off the clock, but it just kind of felt like I was never off of the clock. A button that would allow her to respond to a call, handle the situation, file the report, and not be impacted off hours by her deep empathy and lingering questions. The thing that made me start seeing a counselor that was hard for me was a day where I had to tow someone's vehicle because um, I needed to arrest them, and they were living out of their vehicle, and he was on his way to pick up his, I don't know if it was his girlfriend or wife, and his kid, he told me, and he was he started crying to me about how they weren't going to be picked up and they live out of this car so where are they going to sleep tonight and i could tell that they were living out of the car because it was filled with things that looked like you live out of your car and there were diapers and i could tell that he did have a kid it's not like and he's crying to me and that was really hard for me because it wasn't just i'm towing your vehicle i was towing your house and i was towing your family's house and so things like that where I would go home and then I'm wondering about where is his kid sleeping tonight now that I just took him to the jail. While Deputy Quinnell worried about the people she encountered on the job, her mother worried about her. You know, my mom would worry about me and she's like, I pray for your safety every day. And, and I had been asked, like, aren't you afraid when you walk up to a vehicle what it's going to be or what you're getting into and if you're going to die at work? And I wasn't. I still had that feeling where um, I don't care if I if I get called to an active shooter and I have to run into the building and if I'm shot and I die, I feel like at least that is a meaningful way to give my life um, versus me just taking it because I'm sad. So, um, I wasn't afraid, which I, um, I wasn't afraid of any call I went to or any vehicle that I approached. And that's very, that's a really depressing thought to have. But thinking about death and witnessing it are two very different things. While on a routine traffic stop, Monica got a call from dispatch that there had been a truck pedestrian accident. 
Her first thought was that someone must have been walking across an exit ramp and been grazed by a passing truck. Instead, it was a suicide. There was a it was a truck semi-truck driver who hit the man. He said that he was driving the truck and he noticed the vehicle on the side of the road and he thought it was odd that the door was slightly open and he didn't see anyone around. And then next thing he knew, a guy ran out in front of his truck and th- spread his arms out. And um, the, tr- the semi-truck driver is in tears when he's telling me this. And he's like, I tried to break, but there was no time. And I just ran right into him. The aftermath deeply impacted Monica for reasons both obvious and personal. And then actually responding to someone who felt the same way but decided that he was going to take his life really hit me very hard because I didn't want to be that person one day. And a lot of law enforcement officers end up committing suicide. And that's not a statistic that a lot of people are aware of, I feel, but a lot of cops kill themselves. And mainly by shooting themselves with their gun is the method used because it's everyone has a gun in law enforcement. And I just... I had thought that I don't want to be that person, and so I needed to quit my job before I would become that person. And after a pre-scheduled vacation, during which that grisly scene replayed itself over and over, Monica did so just that. I put that. in my notice at work, and then I just started to focus on everything that made me happy for when I was out not working. And so I was riding my bike a lot more, I was using that treadmill that I bought, I was giving as much time, you know, to spending with my family and my friends. I made, I wanted to make a garden since I bought my house a few years ago, and I never did. And I made a garden, and it was just amazing. Like, everything grew. (laughs) uh, I started reading a lot more. I love to read, and I hadn't picked up a book in, however, in a year and a half, two years. And I started painting again, and I was isolating myself from all my friends and now I was I decided to do the opposite and I was reaching out to friends who I hadn't talked to in years really and um and then and then all these things started coming together where I found myself in a place where I actually felt like I was happy again. Monica's work now includes a variety of jobs she actually enjoys that combine to make not just a living but a life a mentally healthier life. I just started to feel that that I cared about my life again, and I wasn't waiting for a day off work. I was actually just enjoying every day when I woke up and when I would go to work, and and, and it just kept building to the point now where I'm, I guess I would say I still have a little bit of depression on some days. Like, I don't know, I, you, everything's great, and most days I love, but there are days when... I don't know. I I still kind of struggle. When those days hit, and they do for all of us, even when we're managing our mental health, Monica has learned how to care for herself while waiting for depression storm to pass. When I when I'm feeling that way, and maybe this and this is something that like I'm thankful that I'm able to do this because I know some people who are depressed are not able to do this. I'm able to mind over matter it where like. I recognize that I'm feeling depressed, but there's certain things I realize that I can do when I'm feeling like that. Like, can I go and hang out with my friends on that day? No, because 
like you said, like there's a lot of stuff going on in my head and I can't focus on being with my friends and family when I feel this way. But I don't want to sit and do nothing because I'm depressed. So then I think about, well, what can I do all by myself um, that I'm probably going to feel sad the whole time I'm doing it, but at least at the end of it, I can be like, wow, that that was a really depressing day, but I got a lot done. Yeah, um, got through it. Yeah, yeah, so when I do have those days, I, I'm not going to go hang out with my friends and pretend to be happy. I'm going to sit and feel sad and read my book. And then tomorrow I'll wake up and be like, that was a really good book. I'm glad I feel better today so I can go and be with my friends now. Mm. Or like, look at that painting and how much progress I made on it. Another key tool in Monica's recovery kit was a 2,400-mile bike trip with a friend, a ride that started out being for her own mental health, but turned into something bigger. Every time I saw a law enforcement officer particularly, I, would, I was kind of looking for them because I know the struggle, the mental health struggle of working in law enforcement, and I want to bring that awareness to our law enforcement officers that it's okay to have a mental health struggle with your job because you have such a difficult job, but I don't think it's okay to ignore it. And so I wanted to really share this with them because there is a lot of counseling available to our law enforcement officers that uh, where they can get it for free. But I don't think enough officers are utilizing it. And even if you're not struggling with your mental health, I think it's great to talk to a counselor anyway. So I was going and I was stopping anytime I saw a law enforcement officer and the first thing I would tell them is thank you for your service and for what you do and then I would tell them how I used to have this job but I couldn't do it and now I'm on this bike ride to promote mental health awareness and I would give them my card. The cards promote bespoke happiness, Monica's project to spread awareness of depression and suicide and to encourage people to support organizations that have that same goal. She says not everyone can or wants to be on the front lines of the fight against stigma. But by supporting those of us who do, you can have a powerful impact. Quoting her favorite author, Monica says, It's a societal illusion that suicide is rare, and that as a community, there is so much more we can do to prevent it. It's amazing that Monica was able to get over her kind of internal state and take proactive steps. I mean, that really is what it takes, but that's not always achievable. Mm-hmm. And to be willing to take that risk, but she's right. taking care of herself and she's, you know, right. getting it done. Right. And that notion of getting things done, you know, throughout the day and how that can make a otherwise not great day sort of feel, what would be the word, justifiable or something, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that's a, a, a feeling I certainly share with her. All good self-care. She's a good model. She's a good model. And she's, uh, one of the projects she's doing, she's having a a fundraiser this week and we're going to set up an information table at it. And she, one of the things she's doing is setting up nine jars that symbolize your feeling at the time. And zero would be, you're really in distress and crisis and nine is pretty much blissful. And she's asking for donations in those jars based on where you are, the people who will be at the fundraiser. And she is going to donate the first jar that is filled to us. So um, we're all hoping and working to make sure that that is not the zero jar. We appreciate that very much. Absolutely. Because, you know, those of us like Monica and you and I, Terry, you know, who are out there kind of trying to support ourselves and support others through difficult times, it does. It requires a little bit of money. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Everything does, right? Everything Mm -hmm. we print and Mm -hmm. yeah, all of it. So 
And thank you, Monica, for your, you know, your helping out. I just think people on the front lines, man, every single day mm-hmm. they're out there for us. It's just, it, it's so humbling. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in our darkest moments, we do want to pick up the phone and dial 911 and there's somebody there and it's people like Monica. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Monica, for sharing your story and uh, for continuing to try to help other people understand their mental health and mental health challenges and to reach out for any help that they might need and not be embarrassed or, you know, feel stig- that there's too much stigma for them to be able to do that. Right. That's what we're all trying to do is kind of dilute the thickness of that stigma. Nice way to put it. Thin that veil. Definitely. Our next episode, Terry, is about a man's personal journey to understand his father's life and death by suicide and all the life lessons that he learned while going through that process. Mm -hmm. It's a very interesting story. It is. All right, Terry, take care of yourself. Thank you. You too. I love you. I love you. Bye, sweetie. We hope that these shared stories bring out a little more understanding or help people articulate their experiences of depression a little more clearly or more freely. Thanks to all, everyone who's digging deep and finding the words and finding the courage to give voice to depression. You can find all the other episodes, some resources, and a blog on our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And you can find the podcast most of the other places that you find podcasts. Just Google it, as our mom says. And please remember, if you're hurting, speak up. If someone else is hurting, listen up.